Quinn. All right, here you go. Like, I usually say, like, a fist away, but do whatever you want. Okay. Just so you know, I do swap these little balls out periodically. Okay, that's fine. Just in case. I don't know. Even if there wasn't a pandemic, I would swap them out. I buy, like, a big package of them at a time. Pop filters. Yeah. Well, hey, so, yeah, right before we started podcast, so you're Quinn Foster, correct? Quinn Foster, yeah. With uh, Ozarks Hate Ozarks Watch. Hate Watch, yes. Um, what, what would you even use to describe yourself? An activist? Uh um, you know, it's kind of a contentious word nowadays. I, I know. I was trying to think like, uh, you know, I had actually somebody who was on a taxi turned out to be a lobbyist. And I was like, I was kind of like seeing their work they was doing the, around the issues that like, you know, poverty, child poverty and different things that she was working on. But she, that's what led her into lobbying actually, which I'm, you know. I don't know how I feel about lobbying, but I, mean, I like activism. Yeah, I mean, I think activism is going to be your first step before you actually get into something. Um, you know, I didn't expect to be doing this for as long as I did, but I kept up with it. And, uh, you know, now I'm that activist. I'm that hate watcher that everybody either knows and either loves or hates. So I don't know what I am. I just do what I feel is right, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. What? That's, you know, and what's crazy is like me too. Right. That's why I wanted to talk to you, because never have uh, some of the things that you talk about and some of the things I talk about in like my history classroom been so unpopular. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I know that I've just shot you some feelers about like things that I deal with here locally. Like, you know, if you drive across the bridge and darn no, you're going to see the stars and bars Confederate flag Mm -hmm. flying as soon as you cross. And I'm like what does that say to you when you go over there? It says to me, because I'm educated, I'm like, whoa, whoa, that's terrible. But like, that's, you know, I feel that way just because of my education. So I can't imagine somebody that it's, it's connected to the other end of what people say on heritage. Like when, yeah, it's like, yeah, well, my great grandpa was super affected by the people that flew that flag. And then to know that like, okay, well, maybe your grandpa was around when they added the, fourth star to the arkansas i'm just like what are we doing here guys like monuments going up throughout the civil rights movement flags flying every hour i was sitting at my gym and noticed a church voluntarily flying the arkansas flag and i was like i wonder if they know about the fourth star no i think most people don't know about it um whenever i drive anywhere and i see that confederate flag and um you know it just kind of tells me like these people aren't trustworthy that's the first thing that goes to my mind okay regardless of whatever happens probably don't need to trust these people like anything significant um when i see a lot of it in a town i think okay this city just wants to send a message hey black folks we don't want you here you know we don't like you we like our heritage and you know there's the whole argument is it heritage uh not hate or is it just hate being disguised as heritage and really it's you know it's hard there are some folks i know for a fact you know the confederate flag is not a symbol of hate to them but on the back side of that, I have my life experiences, and anybody and everybody's ever said anything racially aggravating, generally they were around that flag or presenting that flag, or yeah. they were flying that flag for some god awful reason. Yeah, that is, um, you know, and I can't remember even remember because you're like, uh, you're raising, 
awareness on some of the same issues as a lot of people I'm friends with. My friend Thurman has been, we've been doing a, a series of like, we watch these Civil War movies and we're like, bullshit, <laughs> right? But he gets fired up about this stuff. He's the one who brought the fact that Stars and Bars was actually fine to my attention, right? And I was like, no, because I knew about the monument. Mm-hmm. But all of those, you know, symbols of the Confederacy, like when I found out that those came about, not after Civil War, like, okay, it's, well, no, it's I mean, 1870. And know, Robert E. Lee said, forget about it. And, you know, when the war was over and they were asking him, you know, about, I think it was 10, 20 years later, they were like, forget about it. It was a mistake. Don't raise your children to follow this nonsense. It was ridiculous what we did. So, yeah, then to see that it came back during, you know, the early 1910s and 20s. Um, and then it also came back during the Civil Rights Movement. It's like, you know, the symbols are associated so heavily throughout history with that hate well see and what i talk with people about too is um you take like rob like the the most commonly seen confederate flag i feel like is robert e lee's flag mm-hmm. right the battle flag of the army of northern virginia God help us. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but it's like that is a part of that campaign and like what one thing i've just gone down the rabbit hole on a little bit i knew about the udc right the united daughters of confederacy and they're behind a lot of the monuments but there's this other group i found out about and there's a chapter here locally yep. in dardanelle called the dar the mm-hmm. daughters of the american revolution and they are they are responsible for their fair amount of uh confederate symbolism upkeep perpetuation of uh, the lost cause myth and stuff like that yeah um and what's disturbing to me is like when i, talk, I was talking with my cousin the other day and i was like hey did you know you were taught the lost cause myth it's like i mean dude the school in your hometown is called the west side rebels like <laughs> you, i mean there's in johnson county they're um just up there like you're towards fort smith down 40 uh clarksville if you hang a left on 64 you'll go to this town called Hartman. And they used to be a a sundown town. They were a sundown. I mean, Bottoms Town. But after um, Reconstruction, Jim Crow era, the sundown town. And, like, that's where a lot of my family came from. And then in the 80s, they consolidated school consolidation. And they're like, we need a new mascot. We were the Hartman Hawks. We're going to be the West Side Rebels. And I'm just like. (laughs) But my aunt, she is the youngest of all of my aunts and uncles. And uh, she was in eighth grade when that happened. And she was being taught the Lost Cause myth. And that was in 80s. That stopped being perpetuated as much in the 90s. Mm. Right? Like. I disagree. Okay. In history textbooks. In history textbooks, I would agree there because yeah, you know, that's in my world. That's what I'm I'm filtering through. But yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, you know, I, I you know, my, I actually graduated from technically Rushville High School in 2014. Really, dude, I had you're from here. Yeah, oh. a lot of people don't realize that, bro. Yeah, all right, I'm from oh. Clark, so I'm like trying to explain to you where Clarksville is because I'm like I see you no. as a regional person. Yeah, no, I, I mean. Uh, it was actually my time in Russville, which actually led me to go on and create a Ozark Hate Watch. But I remember when I was in there and it came to the issues of Civil War, the teachers would just, pay, you know, they would just be like, just close the textbooks. And then they started explaining the whole lost cause narrative and what have mm-hmm. you. And whenever they'd actually go back in the books, they start talking about battles. They'd just be like, well, that isn't right. They'd say that, you know, just like that, that, you know, that isn't right. That isn't accurate. That isn't true. And of course, you know, you had the kids in there who would always scream the lost cause narrative. They would always be like, it wasn't about slavery. It wasn't about this. It wasn't about that. And teachers would be just nodding and agreeing with them. And I'm just looking at them like, 
okay, why is it in the Declaration of Succession for 14 different states? Oh, yeah. Like. And like over <laughs> over 80 mentions. Mm-hmm. The, then there's the famous cornerstone speech by Alexander Stevens, uh, vice president of the Confederacy, that where he says the Confederacy is founded on the cornerstone of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. That's a that that's a verbatim quote to my knowledge. Right. If I might be paraphrasing a word or two. But that guy went back to Georgia or his home state. I believe it was Georgia. And became a senator mm-hmm. as soon as civil war was over what the fuck mm-hmm. right like oh, that sure. sort of stuff whereas like in arkansas we disbarred confederates from voting for a while after and then once reconstruction ended they were back in there mm-hmm. like and that led to a lot of horrible things happening for our state and i teach about it because a lot of people were like you know i don't know on high schools I made the decision to get a master's degree and teach at college for some of the reasons that you were talking about. It's like, well, I don't want to write my lesson plan on the board. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to tell my students to close the book. I just want to be, be real with them, yeah. you know? But um, I think that like people are always like, well, the history books, I'm like, not in my class, <laughs> right? Because uh, particularly in Arkansas history, man, but in US history one, we finished the whole semester at the Civil War. And, um, Man, it's uh, every time I go through it. You ever see that? Uh, got a nail here. Sorry. You ever <laughs> see that uh, Ken Burns documentary, The Civil War? Not yet. I don't want to tell you to save your time because it has some good components to it. But this is like the documentary textbook on the Civil War, right? Like, it's good, but it has this one historian in it. And maybe they did it to be balanced. I don't know. Mm. But he perpetuates some of that lost cause mythology. We're going to do a podcast about it. It's this big, long series. It's going to be the end cap on our Civil War Through Cinema series. Mm. But, man, this uh, – I think the problem is all of these people, like from my parents' generation and even my aunt, who is like 15 years younger than my dad – they were taught this. So it's so in the consciousness. Like, just maybe even – what year did you graduate? Uh, I mean, 2014. Yeah. yeah. Just maybe even with your generation and a couple before, have we just started to – Remove the elements of lost cause from the Civil War narrative. Yeah. But even then, you know, it's still – you know, most – you know, this is Arkansas. Most of what folks are taught here, it goes from family to family, you know, generation to generation. It's not actually what it ever is taught in school. Most people, you know, that's not what they actually are listening to. People, they just go through high school just to get out of it. Um, you're going to remember what your pa told you long before you remember, like, you know, like the Pythagorean theorem in ninth grade. You know, who who even remembers that? So um, that's also another thing that's kind of working against sort of getting rid of that narrative, mm-hmm. you know the people who you love and trust the most, you're not gonna believe that they're gonna tell you the wrong thing or they're gonna tell you something historically inaccurate or something untrue. That's with any human being. Yeah, man, you know, like I've I've had many conversations along these same lines. Like I was like on my way here, I was like <laughs> having this conversation again, you know, but it's there's a lot of value here and the educational purpose of what we'll put out after the podcast, but what is like what i almost get frustrated sometimes because it's like okay well i'm doing as much as i can do podcasting teaching in my classroom and i talk with people all the time about what i would i mean these issues systemic racism like mm-hmm. uh <laughs> they are difficult breaking cycles you know somebody asks they're like well what's the most important thing in your life i was like breaking cycles 
whether that's a traumatic cycles emotional whatever it is like i don't want to be like some of the groups that we're talking about man and in clarksville oh yeah it was well yeah i mean it's so bad up there it, it is we're, and we're you go to the people and have you been to the peach festival before no okay i haven't been in a while right but it's like they're like they're, the atkins has the pickle fest and i've never been to that right i have it was really fun okay so yeah so now like but when i was a kid i went right i bought all this like 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 eight years old like i don't even know about the history of the civil war at all and there's like on the courthouse square they're selling all this confederate like robert e lee flag stuff mm -hmm. right and it's like you, you we allow that to go on and then i don't even know i'm like what just cool it's an x flag it looks great i'm eight years old like let me get this yeah. sword over here too you know but it's like that is one thing like what i've seen been seeing the awareness you've been raising on dixie outfitters right yeah. well it's you know that's part of the uh, white supremacist trend that's called normalization or it's getting elements of white supremacy normalized into mainstream american culture and you know we actually just talked about this last night there's apparently a new slur out there that's called joggers that prominent white supremacists are now using on social media in lieu of saying the n-word in its full glory so you know when you were eight they were basically setting up a fun festival that you were going to remember. It's going to be a happy memory, happy experience. You know, the candy, the drinks, the food, the animals, everything. And then the flag. And it looks innocent. It looks innocuous. And, of course, just like you, just like me, you know, it looks cool. It looks awesome. Rebels, yeah, you know, the whole Southern attitude. But, uh, you know, then we all grew up and realized, oh, didn't really actually Shit. mean that. <laughs> Man, and, like, I just... I kind of felt weird telling you about it, honestly. Like, I've just been super frank with people. Like, yeah, I bought Confederate shit when I was eight years old with my allowance, and I feel terrible about it because I didn't know any better. And now looking back on it, I'm like, what the fuck did... So, why did we allow this to come into my court square? You know, it's like I tell a lot of people, change is... It is inevitable, but letting it happen so that it benefits yourself and benefits your neighbors and your community... That's the best kind of change ever. I have someone, you know, on my team right now with me. He was a hardcore white supremacist in the 90s. Now he's a family man with a multiracial family, and he is our one of our foremost uh, gun trainers in our organization. And he explains to everybody, he's like, listen, I was one of those people. You need to listen to what I'm saying. You know, don't try to reason with folks like this. You have to kind of exclude them from your day-to-day -day life and society to keep yourself safe. Mm -hmm. Um so you know people they do change and i think that's the thing in the south we can still change yeah i wonder if like um this is a joke but like your friend that you mentioned he's in a multiracial family is he is he a caucasian man yeah he's, okay yeah, so i wonder caucasian. if he just like always had like a fetish for women of color so me and him actually talked about that right like we that's did, the first yeah, thing i thought yeah, when no, you no, said no. That. i mean we did talk about that he said it was more of how he was raised it was more of what he was told when he was uh, in his upbringing, what have you. And it was whenever he got away from Arkansas. That's, you know, he said he went to, mm, yes, he went world to go travel. the military somewhere. And uh, when he joined the military and got out, he realized, oh, my God, I don't believe any of this. You know, it was because he was here in Arkansas, because he was in that small town and because that culture reinforced those normal, you know, the, uh, n the normalization of the Confederate ideas or white supremacist ideas. Uh, that was why he was behaving the way he was. You know, he always tells everybody, if you feel that way, you need to, like, just get out of Arkansas for a little bit and go see the world and actually understand it. I have a conversation with somebody that is not <laughs> it, it, lining up with your beliefs. I don't say, like, not like you. Like, because, I mean, here's the thing. We're all human beings. Like, yeah. like, we can find, I bet you and I could find a ton of commonalities 
and we never even have met before now just like i'm watching your facebook like but nobody wants to do that no 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 i mean it's 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 hard to you know another big problem is people like to piss on southerners i will say that. oh damn it you're totally correct they do like to piss on southerners you know for example if i say the word arkansas when i'm in st louis they say oh you're sleeping with your sisters and i'm like no arkansas are cousins mississippi's sisters <laughs> but <laughs> wonder where where's that put georgia and alabama <laughs> mama sisters oh man that you know, george wallace jesus christ but, but yeah you know I, I think that's also another thing is people don't have a lot of respect for the south the united states you know people still carry those awful stereotypes so yeah when you're growing up in a small town and you know you want to feel significant or important you look to your ancestry a lot of times and your ancestors you know the idea that they were rebels they weren't taking all the bs that you know everybody else is taking nowadays and they were willing to you know step up for their rights that sounds great anybody would fall for that sort of propaganda um but just well and the it, truth. You, like we one of these movies we just watched there were literally no people of color in it at all there was one person Frozen. one one uh, no it was uh what this is a civil war movie oh. this was gettysburg one one person of color oh, that's interesting and it's like way to omit them because here's the thing with gettysburg is the the confederacy lee's division and others were capturing runaway slaves and slaves in the area and 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 sending them back south all in and around that invasion to maryland mm -hmm. right so it's like that's something that just like gets glossed over a lot but it's like no they were catching people to and from that invasion and shipping them behind uh the southern lines and then these are freed people mm -hmm. or um or runaways both is what i was reading about but these are either freed people in the north or runaways or like people along the border right but it's like yeah way to exclude that from the story where well, you hit on everything else why didn't you put that in there you know it's um something i always talk about especially with pop culture and media <clears throat> america is afraid to face its racist past oh but you do not want to i mean you know thomas jefferson I think it was like third or fourth grade growing up and they're talking about how Thomas Jefferson's extended family, you know, and they're still living descendants today. And then, of course, you know, you see the black people. And, uh, of course, some kid asked the question, well, how are there black people in Thomas Jefferson family? He's white. And the story that we were told was, oh, he loved, you know, one of his slaves. And yeah, yeah. And this is St. Louis. So this is Hazelwood <laughs> School District. I was going to like Lawson. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that's up there, that's near Florson. It's like you want to throw a rock you can even hit ferguson uh but yeah mm -hmm. that's what we were being taught up there in st louis uh when i was in when i was in elementary school and you know we were taught that only to find out later on in seventh grade you know uh going to school here that wasn't really the case but they still gloss over the fact that um you know thomas jefferson was essentially raping his slaves and that is why they're black descendants they're not something that was consensual it's not something that was you know remotely consensual in any kind of standards like there's an entire you know there's an entire um family of thomas jefferson that is just from him raping slaves and the hemmingses yeah yeah and you know they don't ever want to talk about that like even in the college level conversations if i bring it up and we're talking about like you know racial justice they want to bring that up they want to bring up comfort girls they want to bring up uh buck breaking they want to bring up all these disturbing subjects did you so I go hard on this topic in my U.S. <laughs> History One class. Did you watch Hamilton on Disney Plus? 
is that the new one yeah the musical i watched a little bit last night i was just kind of like this is all it's shiny and glossy i don't like that. yeah i didn't i didn't like it either and just like the gettysburg thing i'm like i just thought that they kind of cheapened it they made sally's character look like like basically a playboy bunny i felt like i mean and i i don't know i just it didn't feel right like i liked i liked the diverse casting i thought that was great and excellent but i also thought that like i just that is a topic we don't need a joke about we don't need to make because i but maybe that's it's like so i've been thought about several times is that like reinforce a negative stereotype i I do too i I haven't talked to a lot of people about it though no i'm I would argue with another problem of this society, which is rape culture, you know, uh, the patriarchal concepts of it. When you're normalizing our forefathers, when they were doing heinous acts and making it seem like, oh, it's a part of the glorious revolution, like you're definitely putting the wrong um, narration in people's minds on what happened. You're not mm-hmm. telling the actual whole truth. You know, again, if there's no consent, there's no consent. Well, and how can there? The big question for me is how could there ever be consent there can't. when you're property? When someone has power over you, you cannot consent to whatever action. You cannot give it. They've taken that from you. And I wonder if, like, where we are on me, the Me Too movement yeah. within that, if we're going to reinterpret things like this. Because, you know, one thing I'll say that I heard hung up the. Uh, back on the Sally Hemings thing, hung up the, the narrative. Because mm-hmm. they did the DNA test in 98, right? But the issue wasn't settled until like 2014 or something, like years after to where it's like the Jefferson Foundation was like, we believe this. But to come to find out, there was all of these broodings on inheritance. Like, like well, you know, one one thing I've heard in the narrative pretty significantly is like hey family members of people who we enslaved who are still alive should get reparations with something like what is done with native americans like what do you think about that narrative that's a hard one um i got i just seen it out there and i'm like yeah so i've actually not touched the reparations argument um because it is so difficult to grasp in the first place do i think there should be reparations in the future absolutely but then it comes in the question, how or what form would it take? I would argue, you know, untaxed land for 20 years. Ooh, that's, that's a great, up, like you know, rebates, yeah. Yeah, untaxed land that, you know, would actually do a lot for people. Uh, what people don't realize is, you know, black folks, they were economically discouraged and they were even federally prohibited from owning houses or from owning land, you know, during the 40s or 50s or 60s. And this is what's contributed to this huge wealth inequality today. Mm-hmm. And that's still the problem that, you know, our community is already reeling from. One way to kind of offset that would be, you know, land redistribution. That's something I've always kind of looked forward to. Money is great, but let me be honest. You, you know, we can't keep printing money forever. <laughs> yeah, the value of the dollar. I've been paranoid about that for some time. I yeah. just, you know, a book I listened to this year, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. It got me paranoid about that. And I keep like seeing memes about it. It's like, uh, we want it. Like I saw one day, it's like, we want a thousand dollars a month. And it's like behind, like behind that curtain, it was like the diminishing value of the dollar. <laughs> it was like this meme that's basically like the dollar is, is not w- worth what it once was. It's not. I mean, you know, that's. That's a whole thing about, uh, you know, the economy. It's 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 going to plummet. 
no matter what with everything that's going on today you know it was written in the stone and i think a lot of people are just kind of trying to fool themselves trying to believe like it's somehow gonna magically get better um you know the dollar it's it's been on its way out for a while and um this is a whole argument of currency i don't want to <laughs> yeah i know where did we get how did we get on currency <laughs> well no we got on currency because you know we're talking about oh. rep you know you know we're talking about property yeah. and yeah property is going to be one of those big things that would help uh particularly not just any kind of property but property that is also untaxed for a limited amount of time there's somebody setting it right where you were and we weren't even recording but i got to get this guy on the podcast because he's a genius he speaks like four languages and he was like well he's like well land ownership's kind of a myth it's like try not paying your property taxes for one year and see where that land goes <laughs> you know and that is a, a very valid point and i was actually looking up like states that don't uh charge income tax or taxes on wages i did not even know that existed yeah, i was just like man core and i here with our little operation we got set up with my little side side story of the podcast and we generate a lot of income but damn it the taxes bro like yeah. it's it's insanity and i was there like for a while before i most of the rest of my faith it was eroded in the government handling big problems <laughs> i was like i would pay a little more taxes to make some of these problems go away but then i realized like i'm supposed to pay 38 percent at maximum well, i realized that i technically paid more than that due to all of the use tax all of the stuff within our state and everything i paid about 50 percent of my income from this business that we generated gross Jesus. and i'm just like how is how did we and it this isn't overgeneralization, but how do we fight a damn revolution over taxation and then here i am smack dab getting getting docked 50 percent of my american dream my like self-made like i don't come from family money or anything climb my way up I'm 33 years old you get to climb 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 mm -hmm. And like, then I arrive and like, we recently got pushed out of our neighborhood of our other building we owned. Luckily, we bought this one. They wouldn't let us build. They wouldn't let us add on, right? And it's just like, okay, I get it. I'm not in your club. Yeah, and there's I always joke about the Russellville cabal because it kind of seems like there's a whole private club of old money that's just trying to keep, I guess, anybody else from competing against them. But it is a good question about the uh, taxes as well, because, you know, for me, I'm not even allowed to really kind of turn Ozark Hate Watch into a full, you know, incorporated organization just because the taxes alone would bury us in the first yeah. year. Yeah. What about a, what about some so like, OK, so here at the gym, we have a nonprofit boxing club. Right. Yeah. Not so we offer free classes. You you can't do any sort of a nonprofit organization because of what we're doing and the way we're doing it. No, we cannot mm -hmm. have a nonprofit. We would. The closest thing I looked at was like sole proprietorship, but the, yeah. even then the taxes. Uh, yeah, I know. I was a sole proprietor when I got going, and like I read, sole proprietor DBA, then sole proprietor, mm -hmm. then LLC. Yeah. Top S. That is what we were looking at, and. Uh, for right now, it's better just not to be incorporated for a whole slew of reasons. But the taxes, you know, they do catch up. Uh, like, for example, last month I spent about two grand <laughs> just mm -hmm. driving. Yeah, yeah. Chewing up that much gasoline maintenance on the vehicle. So $2,000 just gone. Are you, um, if you don't mind me asking, are you like monetized on Facebook or anything like that yet? We've started mainly. Uh, 
so we actually just we're starting to sell merchandise you know uh it's actually on my truck we have one that says clan live splatter i saw that yeah, it's, it's yeah and then of course we have the you know uh the clan busters logo and uh, okay let's uh, sidebar you okay so i'm in this group which used to be called unrig russaville i liked it a lot more back then now it's called advanced russaville mm-hmm. but you posted in there uh oh God, you're, yeah. you're like a meme right that you, so it was uh racists aren't safe in the dirty south which i was like hell yeah <laughs> it features a crocodile who has a clansman and full regalia in its head and obviously he's dead and the crocodile's about to chow down on him i was like hey we got one of those at bonadilla like yeah. <laughs> yeah and actually that was so uh the whole the whole thing about the crocodile is uh you've heard the term fuck around and find out so it's actually on a flag and it's a red background with a black crocodile <laughs> so um the crocodile is slowly becoming the symbol of the uh anti-racist left just very slowly <laughs> and that's kind of why we were like hey this is perfect <laughs> yeah yeah um, well, okay, so, but that post got taken down yes, and then put back to, up. Like, what was the what was all that? Oh God. Um, okay, so just like with the Clan Live Splatter, just like with um, Ozark Hate Watch, just like with um, even that post. Unfortunately, people are taking it as threats. I've had the police contact me about my Facebook post of Clan Live Splatter, and what was said to me at that time was the post of uh, "Racists aren't safe in the dirty South." It seems like a legitimate threat. So, I can understand from a constitutional standpoint, white supremacists and racists have the same legal rights as us. But it's like really. <laughs> well, there's been all this talk. So, like, I, my history professor who wrote the Arc History textbook. He was given a lecture on. Uh, reconstruction era and he he got to the point where he was going to start talking about the uh when the first surge of the clan and he's like well uh terrorist organization that's the only thing you can say to describe it the fact that we haven't taken a stance on that like i get i get what you just said with the constitutional argument but we have taken a very hard stance on other groups like especially the talk of it as of uh recently in recent weeks i just uh like it is a terrorist organization it's it's a if we were i don't know i think society would be better if we would if we would take a stand on that issue well so my understanding was it was kind of declared a terrorist organization like 1875 and then somebody repealed it i could see that so and probably was woodrow Wilson. come to think of it because he was a whole clan fanatic a lot of people don't know that well yeah they showed uh birth of a nation at yeah the White House. yeah, yeah. we, we just talked the about this film ever Jesus. so no um but no the post was interpreted as threatening and you know all of us kind of scoffed at uh oz arcade watch was just like really this is threatening <laughs> uh well okay so have you seen similar posts with these groups that you monitor and talk oh, about and yeah. follow? Like, what yeah. kind of are they getting contacted by the police? What kind of posts are they making that are oh, that are no. the same? So they're uh, so they had a lot of favorite posts, which was uh, all live splatter, and that was one aimed at protesters, and it showed a bunch of protesters getting on over by cars. They <sighs> have tried targeting our businesses, naming us out there, claiming they're going to come shoot us, they're going to come bomb us out. Um, in Springfield, Missouri, a bomb went off at an activist house in, in uh, Branson, Missouri. We had a girl who's being threatened by the Confederate Kathy, or KKK Kathy, whatever they call her now. Is that like a Karen? or 
She was the one at the Branson Dixie Outfitters who was screaming, oh, I will yeah. teach my children to hate you. Yeah. So she was at her house the entire time. Her house was near a Black Lives Matter organizer who was a, a child and still is a child. And she was threatening the child and then she sent family members over to come threaten the child and the family so you know we had to go up there and we had to go protect them and what have you and that's another reason why we keep the cameras and everything that way folks can see what we're actually doing um and they're always posting things every day about how they can't wait to shoot us they can't wait for one of us to f up as soon as we come down their roads they're going to open fire things like that and uh you know i was talking with branson pd yesterday they said they do look into stuff like that but it's also like, well, here in Russellville, I know for a fact they don't. Russellville Police Department has never, ever actually cared to kind of stop or quell uh, racism or um, rogue confederatism. You know, folks who actually want to go out there and hurt folks. Mm -hmm. um, they never cared because their thing is, it's on social media. It's not real. I'm like, okay, it's not real until it is. And Were you around at all when the protest took place that first day when there's all the people that showed up with AKs because they were worried about the Antifa busloads of... No, and it sounds like the same treatment. I think I was in Harrison that day, mm -hmm. and that was when I was in Harrison carrying the shotgun, leading the march. Um, but no, we had the same treatment up there. They were all afraid of it, and they kept trying to walk over to me, and they kept trying to, you know, come talk with me, and the police just kept telling them, no, 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 and I'm like, fine, just let them come talk. And, you know, they were just like, well, you guys better not come in here and destroy the town. I looked at him, I'm like, would we be showing our faces? It's not what it's about. Like, I, that's, that, I am fairly convinced, based off my research, that the whole busload of Antifa protesters bullshit is, is actually white supremacist propaganda. It is, actually. It's coming from uh, places like here locally, Shieldwell Network, Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, um, several different sort of white supremacist groups. They're usually right-wing militia types. Mm -hmm. They're sharing this in local groups. Like uh, one of the groups we monitor constantly is the uh, Harrison Daily Gossip Common. Because even post about that. Yeah, even the last 24 hours, 70% of the posts were anti-black or anti-BML posts in that group. And that's what they're doing. They're kind of bombing these local populations with all this misinformation or fear-mongering, which is causing them to legitimately react out of fear against a possible Black Lives Matter protest in Arkansas. You ever heard of a guy named Daryl Davis? Yes. Right? Like, I haven't read his book, but he was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and I watch that shit religiously. But, dude, he posed this question. That, like, I'm sitting here just thinking it. Like, we're getting along splendidly. We've never met. Mm -hmm. Right. But he, he raises this question over and over again in other talks I've heard him give. And how does it make you feel with this? How can, these people hate you, but they've never met you. Yeah. Like they can't wait to beat the shit out of me. Like, it's like they never met me. Let's just say also, let's say like, well, you don't have a Facebook page. You don't have any of that going on. Mm -hmm. Or let's just say the people that don't even know about that. Right. Yeah. That, that enter, they come in contact with you at a, at a peaceful protest or whatever. They don't know you. And they. And, and they hate you like that, like just putting it in those simple terms, because he was saying he got a rock thrown at him in 68 in a Boy Scout parade. Mm. And he's like, and I, I just could not my little boy brain. Like it was like, why? Like, oh, I've never met these people. Like, why are they throwing these? Like, whoa, whoa, why are you calling me that? Like, and then it's and then that's another thing that really is the most that. But the one of the most empathizing things I've heard is like. I mean, I will have similar talks with my kids, but never like talks that people of color have with their families. Oh yeah, I, like I, that. Like somebody I broke that down for me, and yeah. I was just like, like, because you think like my, my wife and I are family planning big time right now, trying to conceive, 
And I think about the world my kid will grow up in all the time. And I think about that in contrast and I'm like, but then I'm like, well, how do I explain to them this other thing? Like, I can't understand this. Like, I, I've, all of this is an effort to try and understand what that guy, the question Daryl Davis is posing. Like, my, my history mentor is like, I wrote two books trying to understand racism, racism. And then I have this guy that I know that not too long ago, older guy, 70s, told me he believed it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Right, like I'm talking like somebody I have some respect for, and like it fucked with me for days. Oh no, that's that was what made me start uh, Ozark Hate Watch. Mac then wasn't called that, you know. It's gone through several different name changes. Um, we finally settled on Ozarks because that's the region we all represent, you know, from Hot Springs all the way up to St. Louis and all the way to Tulsa. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where we're pretty much uh, keeping an eye on folks with. But here in Russellville, I used to get told that all the time. They're like, you know, Quinn. Racism isn't real. What you're experiencing isn't racism. If you just did this, they like you a lot more. They do this and the other more. And, you know, for the first bit, I kind of believed it because you hear it over and over and over. It sounds reasonable and plausible. But as time went on and when I actually got to go to other places in Arkansas or I got to actually leave Arkansas, I realized no people here are just they are aggravatingly racist for no reasons. They're prejudicial. They are extremely bigoted. And... Um, they teach their children to behave that way. Mm-hmm. And then when you call their children out on it, well, that's just the way the South is. It's like, no, this we is... D- we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, we don't. It's not the 1950s. <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, how old were you when the first time somebody hurled a racial slur at you? Do you remember the first incident? No. I've... I tell people this, like, one of the first jokes i ever remember being told was a racist oj simpson joke that's just the thing the question you're asking me makes sense it's just i didn't really understand racism until i got older yeah so it's hard to even look back and wonder was that racially charged you know what do they mean by that i i do i do remember when i was younger when i was like you know five six seven you know playing outside with kids parents of white kids did not want me playing with them ever in St. Louis, they didn't like it. So where you grew up, St. Louis? Uh, yeah, North County. Okay. So, Hazelwood, yeah. Florson, Ferguson, Pagedale. Uh, yeah. So that's where I grew up, and I remember they did not want us playing together a lot of the times, and it was weird. And you know, because you'd meet also other kids, they'd be exactly the same, but their parents wouldn't say those same things. They wouldn't care. Um, so of course, that was when I first noticed it. I think. But the first time someone ever called me the N-word, I mean, it could have been first grade in class for all I remember. Yeah. I know they definitely called me in second, third, and I never got it. You know, I never got through a school year without hearing at least one or two racial epithets thrown at me. <laughs> was it, it Was it like, did, did this happen? Like people, get, uh, somebody that's your friend or whatever, you get in an argument with them and then they oh, drop right. it? It was worse than that. It would be like we're sitting around playing and we're trying to figure out like, you know, what kind of person it is. And some kid would be like, well, my daddy says that you're a Negro. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. And of course, you know, when now you're that young, you go to your parents to ask them the first question. So, you know, I remember I do remember going to my mom and asking her, what is the N word? And I remember getting backhanded so quickly by my mother. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I never got a chance to explain to her, hey, I heard that at school and someone was calling me that. You know, she thought I was just trying to be offensive towards her. And um, I was about seven or eight the first time that happened. And that's when I realized, oh, God, this is something weird. Like, this is something. It's strange when you're that when you're that young. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, shit, how do we 
like what I was saying a second ago, like how I don't, I don't even have to deal with the issues your mom would have been presented with. But how do how do we explain these to the your kid? If you have kids, if I have kids, like how do we how do we explain this shit to them? How- I mean, that is kind of something like we've been wrestling with at Ozark Hate Watch because we're trying to come out with some educational videos, and it's like whenever it comes to the kids, you know, it's a hard one. How do you explain to a kid that another kid was raised in such an environment that he may not accept you as a human being and may treat you differently for that, and that is his constitutional right to be that way? And it's just like, oh God. Like this is, it is a quagmire and I've not figured it out yet. Yeah. Well, you know, healthy conversations about it will move us further is my hope. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just like, I've, I'm always trying to consume. It's funny on my audible. Cause I listen to a lot of audio books. There's like books you might like, but it's like a, like anti-racist education or something. It's like some sort of uh, <laughs> uh, anti-racially charged sort of uh, topic heading. And I was like, because I have read a few books on segregation, Jim Crow as of late. And uh, so I was like, well, yeah, let me scroll through here and see what else I need to learn. But, you know, I will say um, one book that just blew my mind is, uh, and I want to have this historian on the podcast. Her name is Heather Cox Richardson. She wrote a book called How the South Won the War. Mm-hmm. And she goes into all the ways that it got to be like what we're talking about Today. historically, you know, like she, she starts uh, before the civil war, but she talks about how these ideas of the Confederacy spread North or manifested in the North. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all of the States post civil war moving Westward, um, how the Confederacy was very invested in being sure that, well, okay, those areas are ideologically up for grabs. We need to ensure that we implant systemic racism over here. Mm-hmm. And de facto racism, uh, segregation, de facto segregation over here in the North, right? So she kind of breaks it down. And I'm like, damn, like that is, uh, it blew my mind how she went into it. What's even more disturbing is, you know, just kind of surmising from what you're describing in the book, racists read those kind of uh, manuals, if you might say or they pass them down throughout their ideology and they still rely on them often today for their tactics. You know, some of them want to bring back segregation. Some of them want to continue to kind of push people ideologically from right wing and conservative into far right and white supremacist. And, you know, that's something they're still working on to this day, um, especially here locally. They want to radicalize people into that. Um, I've heard chatter of that recently and, uh, of basically this idea, not like what you're talking about with land redistribution or anything, but basically, um, hey, just carve out a state for us. Carve oh, out, God. Like, so, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. What are your thoughts on that? So this was from the leader of the Not Fucking Around Coalition, and they were the uh, group of about a thousand strong uh, African-American folks that marched on Stone Mountain uh, despite all the threats and what have you. So he made a comment like a week later saying, give us the state of Texas and we'll call it even. Now, I'm almost 90% sure this might have actually just been a really bad inside joke. That's kind of what I was thinking, honestly. Because, like, I wasn't like, yeah. But, oh, here's the thing, though. Like, what made me bring that up is we've tried that. We tried something like that. Monrovia, what was that called? It started Liberia. Yeah. In, uh, in the capital was Monrovia because of Monroe. He got it set up. Yeah. But it's like, that just seems like a horrible idea. Like, let's, let's like, 
that's like segregation, right? Like uh, it is segregation, and you know that's something that we're actually kind of reeling with right now at Ozark Arcade Watches. We're seeing there's a rise of black nationalism, yeah, and it's in response to the last three years of the rise of white nationalism. And I've actually met activists who said they are pro segregation, and I'm like, what in the world, we, you know, our parents, our grandparents, they really fought to not live in a society like that, and now you're telling me that this is what you want. Um. I mean, yeah. I, there's so much I can explain on that but a point of view. It's it is disturbing. The, yeah, the uh, I will say like I've never heard anything positive about segregation mm. except for this one story I was reading about this barber who made it big because he like it was a big big black community and he cut everyone's hair, mm -hmm. so he was able to achieve an economic status. But it's like, well, why can't he just cut everybody's hair for real, not just people of color's hair? Like, yeah. But it's like, um, that's like the only silver lining in all my research ever. Like, hey, yes, some people really did climb an economic ladder. But it's like, yeah, but most people were subjugated in racially. sharecropping. And yeah. Jim can, uh, yeah, like one of the number of different I mean, things, not just water, just you go into that water fountains, bathrooms. So, Go well, ahead. it's like one of the things I tell a lot of different uh, activists who are a part of my community, I warn them about the dangers of falling for black nationalist segregational propaganda. Uh, the biggest thing is, let's just imagine that segregation actually went quote unquote right. Well, now you're denying people their ability to actually live a free and happy life. And what kind of guarantees do you think it's going to bring you? And I've had some segregationists tell me, oh, well, we'll have our own communities, our own money, our own this, our own that. And I'm like, what happened to the communities that did exist under the time of segregation? They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what happened to Greenwood, uh, Oklahoma, also known as, you know, Black Wall Street of Oklahoma, outside of Tulsa? And I'm like, and what happened to these prominent towns and those prominent towns? What happened to all of that? And, well, uh, did, well, if I'm not mistaken, a very big district was... Yeah. Where 630 goes through in Little Rock, right? Yep. That was also another uh, prominent uh, black area. You know, what ended up happening was in a segregated government, you know, the majority, whoever held hegemony, still held the most power. Um, so as I told a segregationist, you know, you're not going to have a lot of power. You'd be strictly defined um, on a racial basis and what you can and cannot do. And then worse off the criminal system will be right back to being further stacked against you um you have no way to protect your enterprise you have no way to do this any other i'm like segregation is not the way to fix the racial issues in america it's just going to make them tenfold worse yeah that's that was my worry like like when i started hearing that i was like well we tried this and yeah. it didn't work we tried you, sending people back to africa right yeah. and and then then there was segregation in in the united states i was just like oh this is such a bad idea well, no. I mean, also another thing people don't realize is that black folks are Americans. Black is a uniquely American phenomenon. You know, that's why I prefer to be called black over African-American because... Uh, that, I almost have brought that up because yeah. in my Arkansas history textbook, for somebody said this other day, I was like, well, you know, in my history book, it says blacks a lot. No. So I kind of, but well, then okay, I've so wondered. Like blacks is offensive. You know, I always say black folks, black community, uh, you know, the black mindset, 
sort of uncertain situations. Uh, you know, the black community is not a monolith, but there'll be those times, you know, like if you ask any black person, did OJ do it? They're going to scream, yes, he did. So, you know, <laughs> it's just one of those cultural things. Sometimes it does happen. But, you know, for me, it's about the black community. It's black folks. Um, it's black trans lives. It's things of that sort of nature. Uh, blacks is a great way to get you know, your teeth knocked out. <laughs> well, you know, I was talking to a psychology professor friend of mine and he's like, well, you know, African-Americans doesn't even do it anymore. If you want to be real about it, because we have such a, there's so much diversity in the United States in terms of if you just look at, so I just say a lot of times person of people of color. Yeah. I don't know if that's uh well, yeah, you even have, an, uh, uh, go ahead. People of color is more acceptable, but, uh, you know, lately the usage is kind of overused because, I see that. you know, it's kind of it's erasing color. Uh, folks saying black because, you know, folks are uncomfortable. And, you know, this is one of the things um, if you have someone who is uh, black and they're a friend and you feel comfortable enough to have a conversation and they're willing to have the conversation with you, just ask them, where, where do I stop my own uh, perpetuation of white supremacy? How do I do that? How do we do that locally? How do we do that in personal day-to-day -day life? How do we do it socially? How do we even do it romantically? Because believe me, there's a lot of guys out here. They say some things that are just super off color and I'm just like, oh my God, dude, shut up. Like <laughs> this was probably not some of the great part to go about. Um, really though, you can't call black American folks African-Americans because I mean, there's so many things that's just wrong with that term. I've met actual African Americans, people who've immigrated from, uh, you know, Africa here to the United States, yeah. and they just look at me and they're like, "No, dude, you're not African at all. You're black." Like, <laughs> that uh. is what they interpret it as. They're like, "You, you, your ancestors may have been from Africa, but you've been in America for so long. You're culturally completely different." That is a very unique culture. You know, I should just make time for it, but. And I'm sure there's fees or whatever, but Harvard University is offering a free course for anybody that wants to take it in um, African American history. But just that's, I guess that's the term they use for the course or whatever. But yeah. it, it is basically, as I understand it, um, oh, uh, what, what, when did, what was the first year that we had slaves imported to the East Coast? So it's like four. It's a four hundred year span that it covers, right? But uh, I can't remember. It starts with the first imported African slaves, sixteen oh nine. I knew it wasn't sixteen oh seven because that's Jamestown. I was like, it's not sixteen twelve. That's something else. Like I was reaching in my head, dude. I got a lot of dates in there. I'm pretty sure it's sixteen oh nine. Yeah, but so sixteen oh nine through the civil rights movement is. Um, is what it covers apparently but uh you know dr james moses over at tech he's offered a similar course a few times and that and history of christianity are two courses i would like to take mm. for my own selfish reasons like i don't uh, i wouldn't describe myself as a christian i was i played one of those guitars in the church band over there right <laughs> but it's just i teach about history of christianity more than anything in my civ one class right Five thousand years into the narrative, my dad. <laughs> but anyway, but that's uh, but those would be two great courses. Man, this now there's like all of Jordan Peterson's lectures are available. Like all of these, and we have access to so much information. It's a weird time to be in education, but also good because I give all my students access to this stuff. I got a great Sally Hemings documentary that I show um, that's on YouTube, hmm. right? Um, and it go, and it interviews several people from the Hemings side of the family, right? It goes into great primary sources. I show it to my students and I have them like a questionnaire here, like, was this rape? <laughs> How does this make you feel? All right, she was 14. 
just like all of these uh, little things I make them fill out and it gets them, it gets them thinking about it, right? So well, everything you just said a second ago, like how how do how do we move forward? How how can we fix some of these things? How how can people benefit from this conversation you and I are having? Well, so that is the difficult one. Um, because this is a whole thing that I'm wrestling with right now in my head, but I'm going to see if I can try to get it out there eloquently. Um, the biggest problem with America moving away from its racial history is America tries everything to bury its racial history. Not the parts that make people uncomfortable, like Confederate statues and you know racist flags, but they actually bury the whole totality of how significantly um, harmful you know, that 243 years of racial history was before 99 years of segregation. And um, people have to realize, really, all of the really big significant issues only ended like two generations ago. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the third generation, and we're still dealing with fading echoes of basically 300 years of this racial history. So the conversation first has to be opened. And people actually have to look at America's past. They have to reconcile it. People have to reconcile the harm that was done to the indigenous populations here through genocide, through breaking treaties, through forcing people on uh, treks that killed hundreds of thousands, the millions who were killed, you know, even just the first contact, you know, even when the British were handing out uh, smallpox blankets. People have to start looking at America's history, not as what you're taught in school, you know, the glorious revolution, the manifest destiny, the Star Single Banner being written during the War of 1812, we need to strip all of that out and we need to start telling people the cold, hard facts, the things that are uncomfortable, but the things that are going to make people think. One question I've got a lot as a historian is when and in what age do we start? Information is the time it would take to explain all of it. Well, what about Irish slaves? Yeah. Like that type of, type yeah. of shit? Yeah, apparently. It's, that's that going to take me a long time to explain, by the way. Yeah. But, but it's then, bullshit. By the time you finish explaining, well, now they have another conspiracy, and then they have another conspiracy, and then they have another conspiracy, and another conspiracy. And that's what why about Native American? Yeah, it, I've got. <laughs> you comment well that in what you're saying maybe a little different, but I'll comment on an issue, and, and then thus somebody will say, well, "What about Native Americans? What do you don't care about them?" I was like, just yesterday I made a post about Native Americans. You, yeah. No, I mean it's just kind of weird uh, labor that they're putting on people. <laughs> it's way it's, uh, the funniest way I've heard it described is mental gymnastics. Yes, it is <laughs> big mental time. gymnastics, and you know that is something I'm seeing more and more of on the internet. And it's it is it, it it's hard to comprehend how we even got here. <laughs> like, yeah. when did we start taking it so seriously? <laughs> yeah, man. Like, so what? Uh, what are your goals for the future here? Like, uh, I'm. It's, keep fighting the fight you're fighting i'm sure but so, what what you know what's where does uh Oak post Kate watch in post election and stuff like that oh, like God. where like i mean if things gonna change i for don't you, want to think about that i, I know right oh, for real like this is gonna be the part of the podcast i'm just i've already told some people <laughs> uh what my thoughts and feelings are um donald trump's gonna win I, I'm um, like fear. I, I mean, people could say what they want. I'm fearful of that as well. I don't. I'm terrified. And the the biggest thing I've heard someone say about him that is that the truest statement is most American presidents we've had have tried to bring the country together, even if even if they're just saying it, even if they're just they have no plan. Mm -hmm. They're trying to unify. 
he is not doing that. Oh, no. uh, the, uh, the division that we have right now, and I just cannot get into this idea that it's um, some sort of deep state conspiracy of this new world order Illuminati shit. That he is, and so he's out to get them. He is doing what Adolf Hitler did, which is called the big lie propaganda tactic, which is make up a lie that is so utterly insane that people could not even fathom it being wrong. And he's doing this with a mixture of different other techniques to kind of manipulate people. You know, I think about going into the election and then post-election. I'm thinking my job is going to go from being hard to being difficult to, you know, even becoming the type of thing that would make me an enemy of the state simply for reporting on white supremacists, on hate groups, for things like that. Because there does seem to be a very... Um, it seems like there's an intention by the administration to quell efforts to stop the rise of white nationalism. Then, of course, because I'm always involved with protests, and now we have, you know, unidentified federal goon squads running around American cities, snatching people up. Yeah. You know, that's also another thing I think about. For, and, you know, I think about the safety of my people with that, especially. And I'm just like, you know, how far can I let that go? And how much in harm's way can I really allow them to be put into, even if they volunteer themselves for it? I think about... Um, the legal aspects of running Ozark Hate Watch, you know, we're not the SPLC. We don't have $571 million sitting in a bank somewhere. You know, we're a grassroots sort of organization and we're relying off donations just to kind of keep us going. Now, there's also the, the legal bail fund that we have to have set up for ourselves. And um, have you been, I, I, I care, have you been arrested or anything crazy? No, no. Great. Literally, I have one of the cleanest records out of anybody I've ever worked with and um, still. It's, you know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We'll show up at a protest, and I'm pretty sure, you know, we saw, for example, uh, a woman by the name of Don Jeffrey. She was arrested down in Conway for protesting uh, the racial treatment of a minor at a business. And they just called her name out and just went and picked her up and carried her to the car. And it was just like, really? Uh, I think we're going to see the actual final rise of fascism in the United States. You know, we've been talking about it we've been warning people about it we've been like hey you know this is not right right here and we're actually going to see uh the political government move from something that was kind of republican and sort of democratic into something that's more fascistic as we move forward i don't know what really is going to happen with uh, the organization with everybody my thing is to keep going as long as i can you know mm -hmm. Because we are getting people, they are talking about the conversation. Well, we have these folks in our community. How do we either bridge the gap to them or how do we keep them out of particular areas of power, such as, you know, being like a police chief or being a yeah. um, fire chief? So we're we're constantly trying to figure out what is the best strategy to move forward. But it's, it's, it's definitely some scary times nowadays. Well, man, you know. Like I said, I kind of followed what you're doing. That's yeah. how I, like, honestly, you just popping up on my page and friends of mine liking your page. And, <laughs> like, uh, what you're doing is needed. I would say that you are developing some much needed skills at this time of your life. Yeah. Whether you on down the road want to get into some other avenue where you can make a difference in the same regard, uh, maybe that's lobbying or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, podcasting. So so there was a lot of threats of protesters being attacked. I've noticed almost everywhere I've gone, none of it's happened. People yeah, see that's... me and they're just like, okay, we're not going to do anything today. Cause he knows that, you know, he knows who we are and he knows how to find us and things like that. And 
uh, I hate to say it, it's almost like a nuclear deterrent at this point. When people see me, it doesn't matter who, everybody kind of starts to calm down, just keeps uh, staying within their constitutional boundaries. They don't jump out of them or they don't try to do anything crazy. But I don't know how long that's going to last because, again, we have you know, people threatening to run us over every other day. Have or, you hear, like, have you been following like what Sean King's dealing with? Yes. Holy and shit. He has his own private security and that's something that we considered maybe even forming is forming a private security group, uh, that could protect people. But I remember one of his posts I read the other day where he said government agents were basically yeah, stopping his same house. Post. They wouldn't identify who they were, but his security team ran them off. <laughs> and it's just, you know, things are pretty scary. I've been followed. Most of our people who work for us have been followed. You've been pulled over a lot. Pulled over. Uh, we've had people even stalking our houses. So where, uh, and you don't have to say this on the podcast, but where are you situated out of right now? Not like, are you just, are you mobile? Yeah. You know? Okay. 100%. We're not me particularly because I'm such a target now. I don't really stop and stay in one place for too long, no more than about a week or so. But your network is yeah, Missouri, Tulsa, Arkansas, Rock, Tulsa, St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, you know, and then of course anything that's along the seven corridor. So that's hot springs, Russellville, mm -hmm. uh, Harrison, and then 65, uh, Branson and Springfield, you know, that's the core of where we're focusing right now. Yeah. So how long have you been involved with this? Like two, two years now, two years. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. This is the, yeah. You're getting forged in the fire, man. I'm like I, by fire. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, I do remark on that for a reason because there's no way that this the stuff you're engaging in does not have a profound impact on your life. It does, you know, and, and not just like I know it's got to be stressful and stuff, but I'm I'm thinking about the human you're going to be 20 years from now, and when, what kind of difference that human will make. You know what I'm saying? Because you're you're you are in a forging process. Some people go to college. Some people grassroots organize. Some some people, I don't know, they just work in factory their whole life. But it's like you're getting some life experience that is invaluable, <laughs> you know, but, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, let me tell you, if somebody had told me at 25, I was going to be able to do a, you know, quick maneuver and start following a person who's following me and that person would be a cop. And then I noticed another cop was behind me and I would recognize stuff like that. And that would become a normal thing. Like, I would have told you absolutely not. I'm going to college back. Dude, if I, if somebody <laughs> told me I would own the second largest gym, in the state at 23 i would have been like no mm -hmm. but i'm a three-time college dropout with uh like i just sold cars over here like what are you talking about but damn it if it didn't turn out that way in 10 years time that's crazy yeah so and now like now i just like my main thing i care about the most is this podcast yeah. so well, it's, it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah well bro let's um let's go ahead and wrap it up i've got to i've got to make a couple of stops before i come back and teach some classes here this evening but um do you drive through here often? Yes. Dude, if you ever are in the neighborhood, like today, I, I mean, I'm off this summer. I anticipate I'll be teaching online in the fall, <laughs> even though they're not saying that. But if you ever have anything you want to talk about. Um, oh, I can it, always talk. Yeah, that. but man, Just consider <laughs> this a platform. I support what you're doing. I follow along with what you're doing. Um, so let me know. 
Let okay. me know if I can uh, if I can have you back on because this will be great content to uh, share with my audience. For, I mean, for definite, we can go into deeper subjects like Civil War history, something I definitely want to kind of go over. Cause Man, we can plan like maybe a podcast just around a certain topic within that. Like my friend Thurman, I was telling you about, he's going off the rails on this <laughs> stuff right now. It's great. I mean, I think like one thing, uh, so, I, so I've been told the Battle of Pea Ridge, which mm-hmm. apparently resulted in mass desertion. <laughs> Yes. Like that would be an interesting topic because everybody mentions that in Civil War history in Arkansas. Yeah. Pea Ridge and Prairie Grove, they were like the beginning and end of a year. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, the last big year of staged battles. But then the guerrilla warfare after that, man, in this state was the letters I read. I'm just like. Jesus. Yeah. They they talk about from like uh, Huntsville area going towards Fayetteville, like like when Sherman went through. Right. Yeah. Like a they said there was a 50 mile swath that was just burned out. Yep. Like William Sherman in total war. Yeah. Yeah. But you you hear about that in in Georgian places. Right. And I just did not know the degree of which particularly. So that's like northwest Arkansas during the war was the biggest area of um abolitionist sentiment they wanted to abolish slavery they didn't want to enter the war they were pro-union mm-hmm. so but that guerrilla warfare that took state knew no side no loyalty no ideology mm-hmm. it was wild so yeah we'll definitely talk about it yeah well hey man right on bro right. appreciate you dude appreciate wrapping you. it up All right. yeah